In a moment, I'll ask our moderator, Anne, to ask the first question. But I do want to preface it this with this. Normally, I have been preaching in this congregation for 32 years. 32 years is a third of a century. It seems incomprehensible. But I actually love this Sunday morning, and I love the fact that I'm nervous again. No, I really do. I love being a little nervous. I've preached here so long that I'm seldom nervous as I climb into the pulpit. But I, um, I'm grateful for the sense of being unprepared for a Sunday morning. Now, I want to tell you really briefly, there's, it may be apocryphal, but I believe it is actually true. If you stand in our pulpit, you should walk up there sometime. It's a fairly narrow stairway, and there's not much room in there. And when they built this sanctuary, by the way, 90 years ago this year, it was 1929, this sanctuary was built, they said to the um, architect, George Grant Elmsley, when you design the pulpit, make it rather boundaried because our pastor, who was John Wells Rahill at the time, loves to walk and meander when he preaches. They wanted to box him in. And so <laughs> for 90 years, the pastor has been boxed in there. But on this day, I get to walk as much as I wish. So I'm grateful for that. And all right, surprise us, I guess. Oh, well, thank you for all the great questions, and, and there is somewhat of a theme, but um, the first theme that I think we uh, appreciate every year from Rich is uh, a sports theme. Um, and the one question that I'm going to give him, but I'm not going to ask you to respond. Okay. Because, uh, will the White Sox ever have a winning season? <laughs> okay, we're not asking that question, we're not going to talk about the okay. Cubs either. Okay. Okay, this is the question. Uh, it's a, on a personal note as well. Your daughter Jess was married a few weeks ago in this church. You have married so many couples over the years. How did it feel to marry your own daughter? Yes, I did. About two weeks and a day ago, walk my daughter down the aisle. I have celebrated in my 32 years something like 350 weddings. I mean, about 10 or 12 a year. So a lot of weddings. And I'm kind of a teary-eyed guy, and I usually walk out from the back at the start of a wedding, and I stand up here and I watch the bride come down the aisle. It's very emotional. I see a dad or, stay, or parents standing back there, and I always have said to myself, honestly, hundreds of times I've said, now, take it easy. This is not your daughter's wedding. And then it was my daughter's wedding. And one of the things that helped me get through it is that Kathy Christian was rehearsing on the Friday before the day of the rehearsal, the day before the wedding. And I happened to hear her and I came over and I sat in the back and I said to Kathy, and I didn't know what my daughter and Brian, her now husband, had chosen. I said, will you play what I'm going to walk just down the aisle to? Because they opened the doors and the music changes and she played it and I wept. And um, so it made it a little easier when they opened the doors and Kathy played it, and I wasn't surprised. But so I walked her down the aisle, and when I was here, my son, who was in the wedding party, handed me the stole. So I was able to transition from being Jess's father to being the pastor who would celebrate the service. And it was, as you might imagine, tender um, and beautiful, but, Almost all the weddings I've been a part of have been tender and beautiful 
and have always, in some way or another, moved me to tears. But this one was unusual because I realized that was the longest walk I've ever had down this aisle. I have walked down this aisle, if you think of it, for 32 years, a lot of times twice on a Sunday, other services, probably 4,000 times, literally 4,000 times. And that was by far the most wonderful walk I've ever had. It was. Um, really, more, almost more than half the questions have to do with the, the church, the future of the church, the future of our church. Um, so let me ask this question. The news media reports that churches are dying and that fewer and fewer people believe in God. If so, what is the future of the church and what is the future of our church? Okay. What is the future of the church and what is the future of our church? And let me, if I may, just talk to a couple of the, the details in the the statistics that are alluded to by the news media. Churches are dying, that's correct. Churches are dying. In fact, Protestant churches in particular are dying. Catholic parishes are closed by the archdiocese and they determine that on their own. But Protestant churches are dying at a rapid pace. If you are to project the numbers, and they're fairly accurate and they've, in the path they've been on for the last 10 years, 20 years from now, 20 years from now, which isn't really that long, 50%, five zero of Protestant churches that exist today will not exist in 20 years. One half of the current Protestant churches will not be in existence in 20 years. Um, there is a sense in, in, of, among some of my clergy friends of quite, um, quite a sadness over the future of the church. And among some, there is some excitement and hope as well, and I'll come to that. But I know that because many of you understand that my son Peter is starting his third year at Yale Divinity School, and a year from now will be ordained sometime in, the, in this congregation into the Christian ministry. And when I told my friends at, his, at the senior minister's conference a couple years ago that my son was thinking about going into the ministry, and what should I say to them? This was one of the saddest moments I've had. Around that table of 10 senior pastors, not a one of them said anything anything. Uh, but I don't want to, I'm not going to obviously leave you with that because one of the things that Anne asked about is that, you know, the statistic that fewer and fewer, fewer people believe in God, that actually isn't true. Here's what is the case. There are an ever increasing, and it's increasing quickly, people who are called the nuns, not as in Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S. They have no religious tradition. 20 years ago, the nuns made up about 8 to 10% of the US population. And today, this is a, an astonishing demographic um, change, they make up close to 30% of the US population. They say, when asked, they have no religious tradition. They're not Christian, Jewish, Islam, they're not Hindu, they're not anything. However, of those you know, closing in on 30% of the U.S. population, it's actually like 27, um, the vast majority of that, the overwhelming majority of those believe in God. They're not atheists, but they are people without a religious tradition. So there actually is some hope for that, 
For one thing is people who will join churches and the churches that exist in 20 years will be populated by those who wish to be a part of it. There will be almost no social um, pressure to be a part of a church. Um, like there might have been certainly 50 or 60 years ago, you would have wanted to be part of a church so that you could sort of move ahead in the business world even. All that is gone, and it will be, continue to be that way. So people who belong to this congregation in 20 years will be here because they wish to be here. I'm going to be honest with you. This congregation, and there are others like it, but we are in the vast and fairly small minority. We continue to grow every year. We continue to have a strong financial support from the church. We continue to expand our ministries rather than look at ways to shrink them. The vast majority of congregations, even larger churches, excuse me, even larger churches are shrinking. They just are. And that's because there are fewer and fewer people who um, um, are belonging to churches. They are nuns, right? They have no religious preference. I have some theories about that, and I, I probably end up taking too much time, but part of it has to do with getting married later in life, I think. I mentioned all those marriages I celebrate. I hardly ever celebrate marriages of couples both in their 20s. That's highly unusual now. And I will tell you, I don't think in 15 years have I celebrated the marriage of a man and a woman who are within each a year from having graduated college. I mean, I, I just don't. Most are 30 and 32 or whatever. Anyhow, they don't start families till they're in their mid-30s. Many people are now removed from a church since they left for college, which is half their life, 18 years ago. How the church addresses that is really going to be, that is, that long gap from having once been active in, say, Plymouth Fellowship, and at 35, having your first child and saying, well, maybe we might go back to church, which has historically been a time when people have returned to church. But it used to be, it was four, five, six, seven years after they um, had left the church, and now it's half their life. You know? And so, how the church addresses that, how we address that in the next 20 years is going to be huge in, if we continue to be, the phrase being, and this is a good phrase to describe us, a vital vintage church. That's a great phrase, isn't it? We are a vintage church. We worship still in a traditional sanctuary. We do still fairly traditionally shaped worship and liturgy. So that, um, that is a great description of who we are, a vital vintage church. We continue to grow, but we're not growing with people who are nuns. We tend to be growing with people who have moved here and probably, not always, but probably belong to some other faith community before they got here. So the key to that is what will be innovative leadership and a willingness for us to be, now, I will never say the word change. Churches never change. I'll say willingness for us to evolve. We're going to have to continue to evolve. So don't ever think, oh, Rich is saying we're going to have to change things. We won't. We will, basically, but we're going to call it evolution and uh, not change. So we're going to have to be open to what it really means to be a faith community and how we gather together. And also what it means to, to worship together. We may have to extend our understanding of what worship means. For some people, serving others, and whether it be going to a soup kitchen or whatever it might be, could be, is worshipful, and how are we going to bring worship to that experience? Are we going to frame it with 
with the with the Christian language or Jesus' teachings about service. Maybe we're gonna have a group that works regularly at soup kitchens and they celebrate communion at the end of it and it becomes worshipful. We are gonna have to understand and sort of that in a new way what it means to worship God and where we worship God. We're always gonna gather on Sunday mornings, but we're also gonna have to understand that not everyone in our church, in our congregation will gather with us here, but may very well be worshiping in other ways. And that's gonna take some creativity. I think we'll have that. Um, I talk about 20 years from now, we're gonna to have to start that long before that. But in 20 years, whoever the senior pastor is, she or he can come and say, hey, what's it used to be like? And I'll be in my rocking chair at Plymouth Place and I'll say, yeah, it was great back then, but good luck, so. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, that's, that's part and parcel of it. And I think the reason when I come back to my senior pastor friends seated around the table who I said my son's going into the ministry were quiet is because they wondered probably if their congregations were willing to break the mold of what it means to think about worshiping God. And many of them serve very traditional congregations out east and know that unless they find some way to inspire people to understand worship probably in a broader, in the, in, in the broader context, they're gonna struggle to remain vital vintage churches. But that's our future. And actually, our future, given um, what we already are today and how well we're doing, is, is really quite bright. What is the most challenging part of being the senior minister of our church? What is the most challenging part of being senior minister of, of our church. Well, there are a couple things that immediately come to mind. One is that it's, and I said this in worship a couple weeks ago because it struck me, it may still be in my, in my hymn book. I opened up my hymn book, we were going to sing um, that morning, and I noticed this beautiful quote that I had saved, and it was about grief. And it said, grief is love with nowhere to go. That's beautiful, right? That's a beautiful thought, and, and I must have been ruminating on that on for, for, for a sermon, or maybe I was meeting with a family. And on the back side of it, I realized I had been, and I didn't even know that what was on the other side, but I had been tallying how much extra this year we had spent on snow removal and gas costs for heating. And that is sort of the weird world of being the senior pastor is on one minute you're thinking about what it is to be in ministry with a family and the other you're thinking about, wow, we really spent a lot on snow removal. And so that is one of the more difficult pieces of being the senior minister is that I, um, those two types of things of course take very different mindsets. I will tell you though one of the other things that's really difficult and I think I'm, I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be very frank with you. 2020, the year 2020, will probably make this doubly more challenging. But the last few years in a nation which is becoming increasingly partisan and increasingly angry at each other, those partisan groups angry at each other, trying to hold together the congregation for the last couple of years has been um, draining to say the least. And I anticipate that 2020 will be a year um, that maybe is twice as draining as the last couple have been. 
We are at a remarkable moment in our nation's history, in our, in our partisanship. Studies have shown, when they've looked back on surveys that were done over the years, for over a couple of hundred years in our nation, that currently our nation is more partisan. Honest to goodness, this is an astonishing fact. More partisan than it was in 1864 during the Civil War. Okay? More partisan than it was during the greatest, um, probably moral challenge of our, of our nation's history and, and civic crisis of our nation's history. And that, um, I'm going to tell you, I had a couple of emails this week, one from someone who said, we're not doing enough around this issue, and someone saying, we're way too political if we talk about this issue. I get emails like that with some regularity, and so to be honest with you, what I always had believed about this congregation, and I think, I hope is still the case, is that um, what has united us has always been stronger than what will pull us apart. Um, for maybe much of 2016 or 2017, I wondered if that was the case, but I'm worried about 2020, that um, how can we continue to live in to Jesus' call to love and justice and not see that as political, but to see that as faithful. That, in the end, is the hardest part of this job. I know we're at our time limit here, but this is... <laughs> this is for the parents and grandparents and maybe a brief one, but I think it's an important question. What do, you, what do I say to my kids when they tell me that Jesus has not answered their prayers in the way they thought he would? That is a great question about prayer. And I know Todd just gave me the, as I said, every lay person's dream is to point out that it's time. And I know we're going to violate the one God, one church, one hour rule, but we'll, um, we'll go over just a just. <laughs> A couple of minutes. But that's really a, a, a question that whether children ask it, adults ask it, and it's about prayer. I prayed for something. Um, it says in the Bible, ask and you shall receive. I didn't receive. Um, I turn to C.S. Lewis when it comes to prayer. And, and you know, one of the things is there's an old cliche, and I don't want to, it's not really, we don't really know always what to ask for, but maybe we simply are to be open to the Spirit of God in prayer. Prayer can be lively conversation with God, but prayer can also be quiet and a sense of seeking strength or calm or whatever. But C.S. Lewis, and, and some of you may, may not resonate with this, but I've always found that what he said about prayer was really helpful. He said, prayer doesn't change things. I mean, that is, if you pray um, for a loved one who is battling cancer, Prayer, at least from my own personal perspective, doesn't change cellular biology run amok, which is what cancer is. Prayer doesn't change things. Prayer changes us, changes the person who prays. People who have prayed for strength or prayed for God's presence may be surprised by the places in which they find it. People who have prayed for healing for a loved one who was dying sometimes have discovered, maybe oftentimes in retrospect, that the healing that took place was with two estranged siblings or estrangement between a parent and a child. And little did they know when they prayed for healing that it wasn't the healing they expected or that they were asking for, but they were praying for healing. Maybe they were praying that for a broken heart to be healed. 
Maybe they were praying for that beautiful statement that grief is love with nowhere to go, that they find some place to share that sadness with. And so prayer, even if I would say to children, doesn't necessarily change things. We don't pray to get what we want. We pray for strength in the midst of weakness. We pray for calm in the midst of the chaos. We pray for hope when we feel hopeless. So prayer, I don't think, changes things. It changes the one who prays because it opens us to the presence of the God who is perfect love and who is with us all the time. Amen.
Following this blessing, please greet one another in the name of Christ. And now may God support you all the day long until the shadows lengthen, the evening comes, and the busy world is hushed. Then may God grant you rest, peace, and hope for tomorrow. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.